Fantastic stuff. Well, Freco says this. The latest idea is car parks and shopping centres with solar roofs charging cars during day drive home and plug into home power car and home. I think we get the idea. Mm-hmm. You plug it in at the shopping centre, you plug it in at home and there's a solar panel at the shopping centre for when the sun is out, of course, uh, that charges your car when you're at the shopping centre, mm-hmm. which I think is a great idea. I think that, uh, yeah, if you're going to have an electric car, we need to be able to just pull up to any kind of car park, plug in, Mm-hmm. becomes the new normal, so we keep that thing topped up because they just don't have the range to deal with the distances that we drive in Australia. Mm. Okay, um, uh, then uh, Christopher wants to comment on uh, New Orleans and, you know, I said, why didn't they just move the place? <laughs> he says, maybe they could have built the city on top of the ruined city, building it above sea level. So this is an interesting thought because just turn New Orleans into a tell, mm. you know, an archaeological tell. Because that's what you've got. You've got, you know, you go to an archaeological site and you can go down through those layers of archaeology. You can go down 60 feet and you don't find the original city. Mm. You know, sometimes you go to, you know, historic places. You know, I've been to historic places in Jerusalem and they're like, yeah, this is Pilate's Judgment Hall, mm. about 60 feet below us. I'm like, okay, all right. That was kind of special until they said that. You're standing in the basement of the building, mind you. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to go down to Pilate's Judgment Hall and, and, and see where Jesus stood on trial. Why not? That's what it's advertised as. So you go down there, it's like, yeah, well, it's actually a long way below us. And you're yeah. standing on these ancient stones like, ooh, that's kind of cool. You know, this this looks legit. It's not. <laughs> that's tough. I think Christopher's got a good idea. Mm. Turn the whole place into an archaeological tell that would keep people busy in a thousand years' time from now if time was to last. Like, like let's go and dig up New Orleans. <laughs> All right, being with Jesus is being like Jesus. Only mm. then can we help do the Lord's work. And the only way to and the only way to go to Jesus every day, not once a week, every day in every way from Freco. Again, mm. well done. Great quotes. Great, great comments right there. All right, we've got a few more here. Let me just scroll through and find where these all disappeared to. Um, I'm all for wind power, but I read a, rep- a few reports that people who live close to them become very ill. Great as long as they are built in desolate areas, which is really where they are being built. And I think for the most part, you know, they do build the wind farms a fair way away from people. Mm. Um, and, and the great thing about Australia is we've got lots of those kinds of areas. We've got lots of room. You can run the cows underneath. If the cows complain, then <laughs> we won't worry about it. Uh, anyway, what have we got here? I wonder how long it will actually take to remove all petrol vehicles from cir- circulation and diesel. Just throw them in the bin. Well. It'd take one day. There's always going to be classics. Yeah. You know, let's face it. In 30 years' time, nobody's going to be like, oh, I found a Prius covered in dust somewhere. I will be. That's because you're lame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No. It's going to be like, oh, I found a Ford Mustang covered in a, dust somewhere. A Lamborghini. With a, with a massive V8 in it or mm-hmm. V12 with your Lambo. Um, whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, I wonder how long it will take to remove all petrol vehicles from circulation. Have we considered how many billions of vehicles there are? How many people will actually be able to afford? This is the thing, the new electric vehicles. You know, when you can buy two petrol cars for the cost of one electric car, they're not, That's right. they're not economically viable. Yeah. And until they become economically viable, unfortunately, I won't own one. Mm, but that's the thing. Like, everyone's moving into the cities more and more and more, and so there's less need for your own vehicles. And then, like, the only people who can afford vehicles are people who live outside of cities. Who See, like, I'm using the, I'm moving the opposite direction. I'm getting as far away from the cities as I can. 
I agree. So I think I'm going to need petrol and diesel for a while. That's, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which is kind of sad because we're looking at a, uh, a, a an electric four-wheel drive yesterday, you know, motor in each wheel. It's just the ultimate. Yeah. For off-road, it's just the the... The, the crawling ability was just unmatched by anything I've ever seen. <laughs> the world is now because yeah, it's got no gearbox. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. You got instant hundred percent torque mm. right from the moment the wheel first begins to turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just incredible. All right, the world is now going through a huge financial stress, which won't help the issue. Um, insurance fraud, nothing new under the sun. When the Catholic Church does things, they do it big. History will attest to it continually. Not to say other churches don't do the same thing. Pretty sad and all done under the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mr. Pillow and the Bible app. I love mm. this. The man's name is Dave Pillow. I wonder if he's sleepy. Well, I think he keeps a Bible under his pillow. Oh, okay. You know, or beside his bed. Yeah, because the Bible should always be beside your bed. Totally. I have. I have Me too. I have a couple of them. There's, there's, I've, I two beside my bed. And not that I can read them both at once, but um, one electronic. for yourself. One electronic <laughs> one, one paper one. Um, love it. Pig is worth a thousand words sometimes, specifically for children and others. Another great idea. Anything to help the gospel reach all types of people. Mm. Amen. Christmas and stress. According to many reports, it seems that more family arguments happen during this time than other times because yes. family members of the couples who don't get along are placed in the same house. And when you add alcohol, it becomes like a ticking time bomb. Oh, dude, this that is so really true. Explodes. Loneliness is another problem. Many suicides happen because of it. Terribly sad state of events. Luther spent three hours a day praying to God before mm. his day started, and look what he accomplished. As for the rest of us, please start the day before anything else by talking to God. There is no better way to live and survive in this stressed world. Imagine Jesus walking with you through the day. True peace of mind. Mm. Well, there you have it. Those are our text messages. There are some really good ones there this morning. Thoroughly enjoyed those. Okay, we never got finished with reading our list of Bible verses yesterday, so we're going to finish them today. We've got one more to go. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 27. So, Lawson, if you can take us there. Uh, let's head over to Matthew chapter 7. The verses were 24 and 27. Yeah? Yep. Um, Matthew seven twenty-four and 27, where the Bible says this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, why it, it follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on the solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds house on sand. When the rain and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Yeah, wow. The uh, the sand or the rock? Mm-hmm. Building on either. Which one do you want to build on? You know, it's interesting to build on. It's an interesting illustration, this one, because building on sand is much easier than building on rock. Mm. And the great thing about building on sand is that it is incredibly stable to build on. Mm. You know, you talk to people who live in Perth, for instance, where you've got an entire city built on sand and you've got roads that are built on sand and their roads last forever. Yeah, wow. Because built on sand. 
You know, you think about you think about all the advantages you have on building on sand. It's roads that are built on clay that fall apart. Mm. And if you're going to build on rock, that's just prohibitively expensive and difficult. Mm. But imagine what would happen to Western Australia if they had a tsunami come through there. Yeah. Where's all that sand going to go? <laughs> What's going to happen to all those roads then? Dude, that's this is like the, Western Australia is basically New Orleans right there. Their, their whole city would just Perth. move over move over a state. Yes. They just need to move it up to Kings Park. Mm. Um, so interesting illustration that Jesus brings out here between sand and rock. We don't always think of the implications. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I mean, you think about it, how, how easy is it? If you've got a, a, a sandy block, my house is on, on a sandy block right now. I'm built on sand. That's a bit of worry. Yikes. Um, and, uh, but think about how easy it is to create a flat space. Yeah. To build a house. Totally. You don't have to wait for the sand to settle and be compacted like you do with dirt or with clay. With clay, you've got to build a floating slab. Mm. So it floats, literally floats on top of the soil. Uh, with other kinds of dirt, you've got to wait for, you know, you, you excavate, you've got to wait for that to settle mm. or you've got to, you know, spread it out 300 millimetres at a time, ram it down, roll it down, spread another 300 millimetres on top. There's a lot of work in doing that if you mm. want it to be, you know, if you want it to have something you can build on straight away. Either that or you've got to let it sit for a couple of years to settle. Yeah. Sand, you put it there, it's there, it's done. If you want it flat, you get a garden rake. Literally get a garden wreck. It's flat. Mm. Half an hour's work, it's flat. But if you're going to build on rock, that's going to take a lot of hard work. You've got to drill into that rock. You've got to put anchor points into that rock. You could put uh, reinforcing into that rock. Then you've got to put forming around that rock because you know that rock is going to be an ugly, odd shape. It's going to be incredibly challenging to build on. But mm. if you go to Europe, which you've done and I've done, there's a bunch of old castles that are still standing in Europe. Yeah. That have been standing for like a thousand years. Mm. And they're all built on rocks. That's right. With, I mean, you look at those castles and I mean, they're built on the edge of a cliff and you think, how many people died building that? And how difficult was it, you know, to lay that first course of stone? And just like, yeah, the materials that they're using, like massively heavy stone. These things aren't built out of wood. No. And it's on top of a cliff. Like, yes. Man, what an effort. It's just a massive effort, and, and yet a thousand years later, it's like, well, you can't argue with that. Yeah, it's still standing. You know, our, our houses here in Australia, we, we have the whole knockdown rebuild culture, and the only way that we can stop people from knocking down old houses is like, oh, heritage listed, else we won't have any of those left. <laughs> and then you have to go to all the expense of trying to, you know, fix it and rebuild it when it's kind of just old and dodgy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, wow. Okay, so we have um, we certainly have some challenges in relationship to building on rock, but it is the place to build. That's right. And and if we can like you know now apply this to the parable that Jesus is telling, it seems as though like he's aware of those difficulties too, but he understands like that. And I feel like this is just a principle that runs through almost everything in life. You know, you you get out what you put in. That's right, and and for Jesus, he's saying, "Hey, if you know, if you like, you know, you got to go through, reinforce that rock, and put in the anchor points and that stuff, man. If if you're doing, if you're putting in the same amount of tension and attentiveness 
with your faith to make it something that is solid, that is built on on truth and experience and action, then it's going to stand. Like, it's it's clear. And who is the rock? Christ. Jesus Christ is the mm. rock. We need to build on Jesus Christ. We not, need not build on sand that can mm. be so easily washed away. All right. Seeing as we're studying the book of Deuteronomy, let's go to the book of Deuteronomy, mm. chapter 30. Oh, that's actually, that's another cool question. What do you, what do you think sand is? What do I think sand is? Yeah. Well, like we know that it's sand Gritty in real stuff. life. But like. Pretty stuff. I know no, it's sand but is. In, in the context of this parable, what oh. would you call sand? If Jesus is the rock, then what is sand? What is sand? Because I don't even, you know, people would say, oh, well, what's the opposite of Jesus? Satan. Satan. Mm. But I don't feel like it fits here. No, me either. It just doesn't feel right, does it? Mm. Love to hear your thoughts on this. What does the sand symbolize? Does it symbolize Satan? Or does it symbolize something else? Mm. What are your thoughts? 0491 I've got some thoughts on this, but I'm going to wait for our Brains Trust to yeah, call through right. and send some text messages through and, and get a few ideas out there that we can discuss backwards and forwards. To, in the parable of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand, we know what the rock symbolizes. The rock mm. is Christ. Mm. What is the sand? Mm. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. That's a good point. That's a good point. Hey, you know when you hear a phrase for the first time and then you, after that time you hear it like a lot and it's like, this? wait, this always existed? Dude, the phrase brains trust. I heard that for the first time like a month ago and now everyone just says it all the time. Really? Yeah. Apparently it's a thing. It's the, it's the thing I've known my whole life. Exactly. But anyways, let's, uh, where, where are you reading? Deuteronomy chapter... Lawson's been living... Under Not on the rock. <laughs> under it. He's been living <laughs> under the rock. <laughs> All right. Uh, Deuteronomy 30. Yep. Verse 15 and 20. The Bible's 15 to 20 or just 15 and 20? 15 to 20. Okay. The Bible says, now listen today, I'm giving you choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to live in, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long and good uh, you will not live a long and good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness to the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you um, and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself to him firmly. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, there you go. Mm. God sets before us blessings and cursings. Okay, now this is an interesting one because he commands them to love him. Mm. Can you command someone to love you? No. He says, I command you to love me. I command you to love the Lord your God. Mm. Is love something that can be commanded? Um, no. Then why is it? Um, because... 
Oh, here we go. Right, here we go. Right. I've, had, I've had a thought. I've had a thought, Lyle. Whoa, I've watch out. A, Be yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It hurt. Hold it hurt. the phone. Hold the it phone. It hurt. I had a thought. Can, it's not something that can be commanded. No. Um, but love is something that is developed yes. through association, yes. through time spent, through, you know, um, investments, you know, made in a particular relationship or even with a particular thing or a job or whatever, you know, you might be, uh, I think a lot of people go into, you know, I have a friend, um, he is an architect and of all the architects I've met and of all basically people in different occupation that I'm like, he loves architecture. Mm-hmm. Like he, he goes down to Sydney to buy textbooks on architecture just to read them, not because he has to, which I'm like, that is crazy, man. Like, like you, like I, I know a lot of people working a lot of jobs who got their degrees and it's like, okay, you know, I'm a programmer. I've made a degree in, in, in computer science or, co- you know, computer engineering. See this glazed look in my eyes right now? Yeah. But listen, listen, listen. No, 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 trust me. Listen, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. The, like these people, I mean, it's not about what you're saying. No, I'm just giving all of the architects and uh, and and um, I think architecture is amazing. Programming, yeah. But this is the thing. Like, I know a bunch of you know people who've got their degrees in computer science and now work you know for companies in Australia, programming, earning big money, doing well for themselves. But they don't love programming, dude. They don't stay up at night, like, thinking about it or whatever. But my other friend, and this architect. He loves architecture. He loves it. He lives for it. He lives it's for his it. his passion. But it was something that he was never into until he went and studied it. Oh. Like, he, he wasn't, like, he didn't grow up and he was like, oh, all I want to do is be an architect. He was, you know, got to the end of his schooling and he he... He was like, "Oh, what do I want to go into architecture," and it turned out that that was his passion, and now that's what he what he lives. He's he's all about it, and it's like you know he made a decision to go into architecture, and when you're uh, like into his degree of architecture, and when you're doing your architecture degree, there are certain requirements that are giving. Hey, you must read these books. You must do these assignments to learn about architecture. They're commands. They tell you to do this, or you're not going to pass. And in that experience that he had. He grew to love architecture. And I feel like God and is and and in this passage, they're being commanded to love God through being dedicated to him, spending time with him, and then that love will manifest. Yeah, it's a fascinating passage. You know, and, and once again, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this because they are commanded to love God. Mm. Let me just let me just read it right through here because when you have a command, it implies there's no such thing as choice. Mm. That's the implication, isn't it? Sure. But the command that you have here doesn't do away with choice. In fact, it highlights choice. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Great stuff. All right. So, sand. What does sand symbolize? Okay, yes. You ready? This, this is actually... This. You'll like this. Mm-hmm. Sand symbolizes human works. When you hold sand in your hands, it simply slips through your fingers. Mm. And it's kind of like you get all of this big pile of good work. I love this I love this illustration. This, there's a word picture right here that's just in my mind. You know, you get a handful of all of these good works and you're really proud of all of those good works and all of the good that you've done. And then sin creeps in. It's just like the, it all just vanishes. It all just slides through your fingers wow. and, and, and disappears away. Isn't that, isn't that how life goes? Yeah. I like I like what he said right here, um, and then um, on the command the command is to live, but we can choose to disobey and die. Mm. Choose you this day. Okay, so let's go back to this question of uh, commanding someone to love. 
Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, mm-hmm. and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. I'll read it from the KJV. It says, See, I have set, you, set before you this day life and good, death and evil. In all that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. So here's the command. They are commanded to love God. Mm-hmm. Verse 17 in my translation begins with the word but. This is the next word, mm-hmm. is but. So they are commanded to love God, but. And so if this was a command that removed power of choice, there would be no such thing as a but, because a but is a contrast sure. word. It's going to it's going to show you the opposite. If you love God, you're going to receive these blessings. But if your heart turns away so that you will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days on the land uh, where you pass over Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your seed may live. Mm. Okay, so when the Bible commands us to love God, it's not, it's not removing our power of choice. The power of choice is always, is, is, is always there because love does not exist without the power of choice. Mm. And so it's a great command. Moses says, do this and you'll live. Mm. You know, I have no problem coming to you, Lawson, and saying, Lawson, do this. It's going to be really good for you and you're going to live. You know, Lawson, yeah. don't drink alcohol. I command you not to drink alcohol because you will live a great life without alcohol. Yes. You have the choice. You can you can obey my command or disobey my command. Mm-hmm. We have the choice. We can obey or disobey a command and then reap the consequences of it. For sure. And so, you know, you think about the consequences here and he outlines the consequences of what will happen is that, you know, they come under the cursings of God. Mm. So when they come under the cursings of God, this is an interesting question. Does that mean that God sort of just sits up in the heavens like, oh, I curse you, I'm going to pour out all kinds of curses on you now. Curse, 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 curse. Is God pouring out <laughs> curses on his people because they no longer follow him? Is this an act of God getting angry at their rebellion and as a result of being angry at their rebellion, he is just lashing out? Mm. It would seem as that, like a lot of people frame it that way and they kind of, in, in a way, they kind of pit the God of the Old Testament against Jesus, you know, who is the representative of God in the New Testament. And they're like, see, the God of the Old Testament was terrible and cursed the people, but Jesus blesses the people. But I don't think that's actually what's taking place, personally, mm, mm. as I read what's going on. Because you see a lot of these curses, right? It's like, you'll be enslaved. Yes. That's one of the, the prominent curses that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, your country will be destroyed. Um, your cities will be destroyed, your people will be taken into captivity. This is like one of the most prominent curses that we actually see take place. Yes. Um, and happen to them. And it's the question is, is like, is it is it God who needs to uh, force people or d- does God need does God need to move the hearts of the Babylonians to say, oh, go and go and destroy Jerusalem? No, like that's what Babylonians do. That's what Assyrians do. That's, that's literally the whole ancient world at this time is is moving and shaking and enslaving each other and taking other nations and they're constantly at war. Like that. That's what like God is like. God doesn't need to send people to to do it. Like they they're just gonna come. And we see this uh, this perspective and this paradigm that it's actually God the whole time has been protecting them. Um, and what's happening is God is taking away protection. 
Yes. And they're just reaping the natural consequences of of that because bad things happen all the time. That's right. And there are so many ancient civilizations who have perished because of war and because of um and because of fighting and because of, you know their nation has been swallowed up by another nation that don't exist anymore. Even like the nations of Europe. Like we look in, you know, fifteen hundred years ago, like fully established nations and people groups who were completely conquered and destroyed and don't exist today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you think about how many nations do we have from, you know, three and a half, four thousand well, it's how many nations do we have from four thousand years ago that still exist today? Like none. We still have Israel. They're the only ones. <laughs> and what's interesting is that even though they are not followers of Jesus as a religion, mm. they are followers of the Ten Commandments, God's law. Mm. They take God's commandments very, very seriously and they still exist. Mm. 4,000 years later, they still exist. Wow. Where's the Hittite Empire? Where's the Assyrian Empire? Where's the Egyptian Empire? Where's the where's the, the Roman, Greek, Persian, you know, uh, where are all of these empires? Yeah. They're gone. They're, They're all gone. Exist. They, 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 they simply do not exist. You know, and... and and you know, we could you know you look at a you look at a map of Europe from fifteen hundred years ago. Yeah, how many of those nations still exist? Like very very few. Yeah. Just from fifteen hundred years ago, mm. very very few. Mm. You know, you come to the uh, the end of the Roman Empire, and you know the Western Roman Empire divides into uh, ten separate nations. Mm. You know, the Vandals, the Heruli, the Visigoths. Mm. Where are these? The Alamanni, you know, the Lombards. Where well, are they all? Well, Spanish people still call Germans Alamanis. It's true. I mean, <laughs> their DNA still continues to yeah. flow down through. But as a nation, mm. when did Germany actually become a nation? You know, you had Prussia, you had Austria, you had the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. Um, you know, when did Poland become a nation? These are these are modern nations. Yes. But the Israelis have been around since the time of Abraham. That's right. Since they left Ur of the Chaldees. Mm. You know, it's just, it goes back a very, why? Because they have the law of God and yes. they took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't, they went into captivity and nearly vanished altogether, as the 10 northern tribes did vanish. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And before we get into our question of the day, we've had some really, really good text messages mm. come through. So um, particularly in relationship to the sand, the first thought was that the sand symbolises our works, mm. which just sort of slip through our fingers and they disappear just when we thought we were doing so well. Then we've got um, this one from Stuart. He says, if the sand is broken rock, mm-hmm. Christ is the rock, and the rock that destroys the image is the rock cut out of cut out without hands, the Ten Commandments is bro- the Ten Commandments broken by tradition is the sand. Oh, huh. See, I, I'm reading these through. I'm like, I've got I, someone's got their thinking. That's, That's deep. deep. That's this is deep, so bro. deep. And I'm thinking, there's a sermon here because that goes perfectly with the last one that mm. um, Ruffy sent through. So Stuart and Ruffy, you know, combine those two thoughts together. Uh-huh. You know, sand is like our works. The broken Ten Commandments turns into sand. Mm-hmm. Um, then we've got this one from Christopher. Maybe the rock is singular and we are to put our trust in him. Sand is made up of many individuals. 
In other words, you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you don't place your trust in people. Mm. Think about that. There's there's a lot of depth there as well. Because the fact is that you place your trust in the church, you place your trust in people, you're going to come unstuck. But if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you have a firm foundation. Yeah. Because like the rock is big, Jesus is big. People are, you know, we carry so many things we could talk about. We need to get to it. <laughs> um, but right now it is time for Question of the Day. All right, here we go. Our question of today. It, this actually came through as a very long text message yes. that was whittled down to essentially this. Why does the New Jerusalem need fortification? Ooh, the Bible talks about the walls of the New Jerusalem, talks about them being, what, over 2,000 kilometres long on each side, so, you know, a rather large city with rather large walls. Um, what are they, about uh, 70, 80, 90 metres tall, something like that? So um, some rather tall walls. And why does it need fortification? Not only why does it need fortification, but why does it need very outdated fortification? mm because, you know, when this was written in the first century, everybody reading it would be like, well, that's kind of obvious. You know, every city of importance has walls around it. You need to have walls for uh, protection. Will the New Jerusalem ever be attacked? Yes, it will be attacked. But are walls still relevant in modern warfare? Okay, Revelation chapter 20, we can read it right here. In verse 7, the Bible says, When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be let free out of his prison. And he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. This is Satan gathers the unsaved nations of the world to battle. Well, what are they going to fight against? The Bible says they went up on the surface of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Mm. So why does the why does the Bible describe the new Jerusalem with fortifications? Will it ever come under attack? The answer is yes. However, the reality is that walls of fort, walls as fortifications became outdated with the invention of the aeroplane. Yes. And of course, then, since then we've invented drones, we've invented rockets, we've invented you know, etc., etc., etc. And so, walls as fortifications became very outdated very, very quickly. In fact, some people would claim that walls as fortifications became outdated with the invention of gunpowder and effective artillery. Yes, because they became too easy to break through. And so, yeah, we find ourselves in this whole uh, situation here trying to answer the question, why does it have walls? Okay, let's f- talk about this particular encounter right here mm. and then let's move on. We don't know the nature of this encounter. Mm-hmm. We would assume that Satan being the prince of the air and his demons would just fly over the top. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what those walls do. First of all, uh, we don't know in what way they form a, a-, a defence you know, we don't know what kind of weapons are being used at this particular point in time. We have no idea. What we do know is that they form a boundary. And it's a very, very clear boundary around God's city. And it is the boundary at which God says you can come and come no further. You know, a lot of cities today sprawl and there's no clear boundary. Mm. And they just kind of fade out into the suburbs and into the outer suburbs and into the five-acre blocks. And it's like, where does it end? Whereas you know, there's a very clear boundary. And God used that boundary uh, to state that you can't come any further than this. 
Okay, the next question that goes along with that, of course, is why do the walls remain for eternity? Well, those walls are going to remain for eternity as a reminder of the great controversy and the cost of sin and what happened. Um, they are a way of measuring the city, forming a boundary around the city and demonstrating the greatness of God. Mm. They are there as a form of decoration. And while ever you've got defensive walls around a city, you are going to remember that there was once a time when there was war in heaven. Mm. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.